And there's all kinds of science and research about people who become disconnected. Loneliness is at epidemic proportions, and it was three years ago. So much so that the research was done and and they talk about loneliness being worse than smoking two packs of cigarettes a day in terms of heart disease and what it can do for you. So do you have a group life? And not just a group life where y'all like to go bowling or I'll play COD or something like that online. But do you have a group life where people are saying, how are you really? How's your soul these days? This is the Third Act Podcast, shining a spotlight on individuals, charities, and small business owners suffering from illness, economic shutdown, or lack of support and funding. Meaningful conversations that generate compassion and financial support from listeners compelled to join us on this journey to improve the lives of others. I'm gonna dance with the stranger. I'm gonna enjoy your show. I'm gonna learn to forget and really let it go. And most of all, I wanna shine a light on good and look to give back. And that's what I'll do with my third, third act. And now your host, Roger Steed. Welcome, everyone. I know I shouldn't confess this in a podcast format, but it fits with today's guest. Over my adult life, I have been drawn to church and church-related activities by great pastors that have a gift to deliver a good sermon or have a special personality that attracts me. When we first moved to Michigan over 22 years ago, we were total newbies to Birmingham, and we were most concerned about our three grade school daughters meeting new friends and getting involved in after-school activities. We happened to move to a house that was literally right around the corner to the Methodist church in town, and so naturally it was easy and convenient to give it a try. Over a period of years, I was impressed with both pastors Bill Ritter and Matt Hook Bill is a great orator and a great big personality. I enjoyed his sermons immensely and found it easy to attend Sunday services when he was speaking. Matt was associate pastor at the time and was responsible for shepherding young adults and teens, which had to be a challenging charge. Matt was great at his job and brought his great personality and musical abilities to a new contemporary service in the newly built Christian Life Center. My memories of Matt and his musically oriented services was that he was very engaging and always has been and led a growing contemporary service and a following that was not only attractive to young people, but also adults like Gene and myself that were looking for something new from the typical church service. The music was always flowing and the praise band was always very talented. Matt and his helpers did a fantastic job communicating with the congregation, looking for something new and uplifting. Today, Matt is senior pastor of Dexter United Methodist Church. For listeners outside of Michigan, Dexter is a great little community 
outside of Ann Arbor. And he and his wife, Lee, have lived there since 2003. And they have four children, Hunter, Jillian, Graham, and Joy. Matt grew up in Birmingham, Michigan, and attended DePaul University for music and business, the Garrett Evangelical Seminary for his master's degree in divinity, and the Ashbury Theological Seminary for his doctorate. One of the interesting things on the website, Matt, is that it says you're examining how seminaries are preparing spiritually alive pastors for local church. Matt is also active in the World Methodist Evangelical uh, Mission. It is with a great pleasure and a great thrill that I have the opportunity to share the podcast today with a talented and giving person, Pastor and Dr. Matt Hook. Thank you, Matt, for coming on. Wow, that's quite an introduction. Thanks so much, Roger, for having me. I'm excited for what you're doing and for how you felt a nudge of the spirit to put together a podcast and help people with good causes and good people and good things to do. Definitely felt the nudge and uh, probably has a little bit to do with a little bit of inspiration on your part back in the day when you probably didn't even know it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Let's start this discussion, if you don't mind, Matt, with a little bit of just a general sort of state of play. We all know that we're all dealing with a very stressful time. However, very few people know how to deal with it. Stress and anxiety is everywhere as COVID again is spreading and it's affecting everything from businesses to families to charities. You are in a unique position, I think, as a pastor with a growing community, a lively community, to hear and help people as you have probably over the year, over 2020. Can you give us a feeling of what you're hearing, what you're experiencing, and what your congregation is feeling in this difficult time, please? I sure can. It's been a huge challenge in many ways. And yet it's really also an unveiling, which that's what the word apocalypse means. It means literally unveiling. And so it's been a real chance to be honest with ourselves, honest with our personal missions, honest with the local church, our involvement, our faith, our relationships, our tempers. And obviously it's exacerbated not just honesty, it's exacerbated everything. And when it comes to fear and anxiety, as you spoke about, those are emotions. Anxiety is more of an emotion that happens when we hang on to fear for too long. And when we start spinning out future possibilities that 99.9% of which never come and never happen, and yet we are consumed by them, our media is designed such that the actuarial science triggers that. It triggers clickbait. And that's how we all get our information on our phones, on our laptops, even on our smart TVs. And so based on what you click, they will send you more things to click on and things that bring us disgust or anger or fear for whatever reason is what is called clickbait. And so we need to realize that when you look around really As I'm looking out my windows from my office, there is nothing wrong that I can see. There's plenty going on in the world, and I'm not trying to say stick your head in the sand like an ostrich, but 
it is a crazy time, and yet we are called, I would say, as a person of faith, I am called to be a calm presence, to be a supporting and an encouraging presence in the midst of that. And I believe God gave us our emotions. Fear means, oh my gosh, something's wrong. Jump away from there or run, grab that kid and pull him out of the way of that car. Fear is only designed to last about 20 seconds to get us out of the moment of danger. The problem is when fear becomes a perpetual thing in our lives, we lose our minds. And there's a lot of people who have lost whatever minds they had. You got that Yeah, in 2020. And so one of the things that I have found through, for me, faith in Christ as a Christ follower with a Christian worldview is that there is a bigger picture. We are called for patience. I cannot assume people's motivations, although I do all the time. And that's been a real correction. Even with the election, there were elections going on during the Civil War. We think we have it bad here. There were elections that weren't decided until March after the election year. And yet we're saying this is so unprecedented. It has happened, but I bet none of our listeners could name who the president was who won that election, which everyone thought the country was falling apart. You're right. And and, uh, that's one of the things that I think I have witnessed from my seat on the bus is there is a bigger perspective to be had. When this all first went down, the, the first thing I said when we had to do nothing but online services for a while was we have a new virus and an old sin problem. Sin, I think, it tears at the fabric of who we are, this brokenness. It doesn't mean anybody's a bad person. It just means that we've placed things out of order in our lives. So one of the things I love about your podcast is that you're trying to help people get their thinking and their attention back in order. Oh, absolutely. But it also, everyone has a different slant on it. And I like the message you put on your website. It probably is regarding your most recent podcast yourself, but you wrote and I'll state it here. Stop moping and get a life. Stop complaining and get a life. You're caring about such unimportant things. It is time to get a life that is uh, right on, spot on. And you go on to say, many of us have thought this way. Did you ever pause to think you're exactly where God can meet you in your present circumstances? And this is the punchline. In order to help you get a life, imagine your life lived abundantly. I love that message. Can you expand on that a little bit? I sure can. The idea that so many things catch us off guard and there are important things, but we need to keep a perspective on ultimate things. And we need to keep a perspective on people, on causes, on how can we make a difference? How can we serve? We say the God of the universe came as Jesus, at least in the Christian worldview. And what did he do? He served. He became the lowest of the low and they killed him for it. And is what power looks like, then if that is what, you know, the ultimate goal is to put yourself second in a way, in order for us to find our life, Jesus said, we have to lose our lives in order to find it. If I'm trying to keep myself number one, and if I'm trying to keep myself so together that I do nothing but get wrapped up in myself, 
I am missing out on God's best for my life. I'm missing out on what God wants to do in other people's lives. And there's such a kickback to generosity. There's such a kickback to including other people and doing this walk of life together. I think that's the devastating thing of the shutdown and the mental health crisis that is coming as a result of this shutdown is I think being underreported, let's just put it that way. We may be keeping people somewhat safe physically, and we have to do that. But I think the mental and emotional damage that we have done is, I don't want to get political, but I think that we are not even aware of the long range challenge that we are creating for ourselves with the shutdown. So to live abundantly, our mission statement is pretty simple, to love God, to love people, and to serve the world for Jesus Christ is our mission statement. Love, serve, love God, love people, serve the world. And and we don't do it to be good people. We do it because of, of what we've received, the abundant life that we've received as Christ followers. And so what, what that looks like is I'm asking myself and I'm asking our church this question, do you have a God life? Do you have any kind of a God life? Or are you making yourself God? Or are you putting something else above God, something you can control versus under seeking to walk with God. That's the God life, loving God. To love people means, do you have a group life? And that's part of the big challenge during COVID. My yeah. eyes are going cross-eyed from all of the Zoom meetings that I've had. And yet I appreciate being able to see people's faces and I'll take it. That's where we are right now. We need to do the right things or meeting outside or meeting far apart. But all of us need a group. We're designed that way. And there's all kinds of science and research about people who become disconnected. Loneliness is at epidemic proportions, and it was three years ago, so much so that the research was done and and they talk about loneliness being worse than smoking two packs of cigarettes a day in terms of heart disease and what it can do for you. So do you have a group life? And not just a group life where y'all like to go bowling or I'll play COD or something like that online. But do you have a group life where people are saying, how are you really? How's your soul these days? And then the third one is, do you have a give life that served the world? Have you found a way to serve that Jesus said, the more that you give, the more you will receive. And so do you have a give life? Generosity, it occurred to me a few years ago when I was in my late 40s and trying to still stay fit and stay healthy and all of that. And I have to stand up in front of people. So I'm one step conscious of it so that I don't have to be self-conscious. Right. right. And I realized what looks better on me than anything is generosity. Better than the right cut of jeans or the right hairstyle, which I don't have to worry about anymore, or anything like that. Generosity is going to make someone look more attractive or appealing or healthy or robust than anything else. I think you're so right on with that. And I uh, may have mentioned it to you yesterday, but since I started this new endeavor, the third act, the generosity part that I'm trying to achieve with my little effort here and there, the more people I talk to, the more I am energized by their different ways of giving, different ways of generosity toward people in need, whether it be low-income people in Pontiac or people just isolated, as you state, living alone that uh, don't have family and don't have someone making a friendly call. But generosity 
is really a wish and an endeavor that I will be striving for. And I know I'm early in this endeavor and you're an experienced hand, but uh, <laughs> I think you're spot on with that. I think <laughs> the, the point I'm trying to make is the generosity factor as a, I don't know, ingrown, it grows within you. The more you do it, the more you're energized and it allows you to make the next call, the next podcast and to reach out to new people you haven't talked to or new people that have different experiences. And it's just, it's a phenomenal feeling. That's, that's what the point I want to make. I completely agree. I think when we're generous, we are closer to God than we could ever imagine. And uh, you say, I've got it all figured out. I, I wanted to jump in and I started laughing because I so don't have it figured out. And 2020 has been a great reminder of that. At the same time, I can be grounded as I'm figuring the new stuff out. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's see if we can help some people both in the Dexter, Chelsea area and also in surrounding uh, communities. Talk a little bit about mission. Why don't I, I ask you to think about it? I know you do it daily and you have the church and you have a lot of different missions that are happening right now, but just give our listeners a little bit of a feeling what's going on in Dexter and Chelsea, your area, and what the church is doing to help them, what missions are happening now that people can think about if they want to support them between now and the end of the year. Yes, there's some amazing things going on. And even as we're talking about supporting people, the old adage, do for the one what you wish you could do for the many. Make it a personal thing has been one of our messages. And we're thinking in terms of a new word that I've heard that I'm not coining, but uh, somebody else said the word glocal, global and local. And in terms of local stuff, in our area, in the greater Ann Arbor area, Faith in Action is an excellent organization that helps people who may be working poor or may be out of work. Faith in Action, it allows anybody who is in need in the greater Dexter Chelsea area on the west side of Ann Arbor help with support, with training, with clothes, with food, with help with rent, whatever it might be. Faith in Action is also who we're working with, and they are seeking to build some low-income and no-income housing here in Dexter, which they're working uh, with Avalon Housing Group in Ann Arbor that supplies people who otherwise would be out on the streets. Another one that we work with that we really love is Alpha House. Alpha House is a homeless shelter for families. And people come and they'll stay for several months and they've got kids oftentimes. Some of my kids went uh, to school with kids who were living at Alpha House. And that's on Jackson Road on the west side of Ann Arbor. And St. Joseph Hospital gave the building to the IHA uh, homeless group that was moving around from church to church on a weekly basis. And we support Alpha House in a number of ways. We've helped them with building and construction, and we supply them for two or sometimes three weeks a year for meals and sometimes somebody to spend the night just to in case somebody needs something. That's been a really neat thing. Another one is the Delanis Homeless Shelter, which is in Ann Arbor. And during the shutdown, there was a Methodist church in Ann Arbor that we ended up adopting that had closed its doors completely. And we were able to house them. And our church supplied the manpower and the food holidays restaurant in Ann Arbor was doing lunches for them at a per cost basis during this whole shutdown. And they were able to stay, these homeless folks 
in the overflow were able to stay there for six weeks when normally they have to move around every single week. And that was a really cool thing. A, A real compliment was they had stayed in December here in Dexter at our church for a week and a number of them said, Hey, we want to go, we want to worship at that Dexter church, even though they weren't staying with us. And yeah. So before the shutdown, we're having somebody head over, we've got an extended van and and bringing folks to the worship service. That was a feather in our cap. That's what they were telling the Delanus people. Yeah. We're going to be housing them for up to two months this winter in that same location, which is more convenient for everybody. It's on the bus route uh, versus here in Dexter, although we're glad to host them in Dexter. One of the first things that happened with the shutdown was all of these blood drives were shutting down because there would be a week-long one at Toyota and Celine or whatever. And our church was able to come alongside the American Red Cross and we've hosted 10 blood drives two or three a month. Yeah. And in July, we hosted the largest one day supplier for Ohio, Indiana, and Michigan right here at Dexter United Methodist. So that's that's a really neat one. Yeah. And then there's some neat ministries that we're doing that are seasonal. There's Operation Christmas Child, where they send shoeboxes to children who around the world who don't get anything. I didn't realize what a big deal that was until I went to Kenya and we were making these tiny little six by six inch sheep that were had a little bit of stuffing in them. I had no idea what it was like to be able to give that. I'm like, what's the big deal about these little sheep? Until I saw these kids who have never gotten a gift. They've had to fight and scrap or they get a uniform if they go to a school, but never just a gift for them. And whereas I poo-pooed the shoebox thing, my attitude 10 years ago, when I eight years ago when I was in Kenya, completely changed on what an incredible thing that was to get a whole shoebox of things. So that's Operation Christmas Child. And then there's also the Project Angel Tree, which supplies Christmas for children of inmates. Their parents are incarcerated and this enables them to get a Christmas. This year, I know they're asking for gift cards. So it's a a pretty convenient way to do that. Right, Right. absolutely. Yeah, some other regional stuff is, of course, Cass Community Services in Detroit, which I know the Birmingham Church is super involved with. And we're involved not quite as much, but that's definitely something that we connect with a few times a year. Down in Memphis, Tennessee, which really guided some of the mission's understanding for the youth in Birmingham and in Dexter, and some of the kids up here in Michigan now live in these neighborhoods. Service over self, Memphis, SOS Memphis. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is a home repair ministry for the underserved uh, populations of the Binghampton neighborhood and the uh, Orange Mound neighborhood in inner city Memphis. And that continues to be an amazing experience for anybody connected with there and the support that can go there. Redbird Mission to help the rural poor is another one in Kentucky that's a long-term approach. That's what I love about the faith connection and the church giving through the church because you don't just leave when the media leaves, when there's a disaster or when there's a problem or after the story's been told. They are people who are already in the neighborhood because they, they is the neighborhood, you know? Right. And, and so I, that's what I love about faith-based giving. The same thing happens for us in, we do quite a bit with Central America and with Caribbean America. We've got a long-term relationship with Brother Luke in Haiti, who has a orphanage for boys that he's had for 
decades. And when Haiti had the huge crisis and the earthquake, he was one of two wells. He had two wells that still were in operation during that time. And other people were charging for water to give these people who had nothing. And Brother Luke was able to keep that going. And then in... Yeah, Central America, we have a sister church in Belize, which has been facing, they had eight feet of flooding during the Hurricane Eta, and now Iota's coming. And then we've got some connections personally, and now through our church as well, with Guatemala and Honduras, through a program called Healing the Children. That's been my personal, I don't want to, calling. And it's where Healing the Children, through missionary doctors or through American Red Cross, or through different organizations like that, we'll find kids with severe problems, life-threatening illnesses or conditions that they can't get fixed even at the larger hospitals in their countries. And so they partner with hospitals here in the United States, as well as an off-duty flight attendant. We'll go to Guatemala City or Belize City and bring those children into the U.S., get them through customs to a host family. And my wife, Lee, and I have been, uh, along with the four kids for most of them, were host families for kids from Honduras or Guatemala. One was born with her bladder on the outside of her body. And several have been heart surgeries. A few of them have been teenagers. And we're still in touch with three of the 10 kids that we've hosted, thanks to Facebook mostly. One of them we are able to get through college because her mom was still having babies and she graduated high school. And if she could find a sponsor and Lee and I, along with Graham and Joy, two of our kids were able to go down to her graduation in Olancho last December. And little did we know what was coming. And then in January, we went to Guatemala because we had a little boy named Felix join who arrived and lived with us for six months, who had a giant bubble on his face that was full of brain fluid and some non-functioning brain matter. And he changed the town of Dexter. Yeah, it was just amazing. The people, and he'd run around at the church and we'd go downtown and he practically stopped traffic because first of all, before the surgery, he had this giant bubble on his face. They had to take his skull off to do this thing. Mott Children's Hospital, I can't say enough good about him here in Ann Arbor through University of Michigan, was incredible. And then after the surgery, he had these great big eyes that were uncovered by this surgery. And I was able to go down a year and a half ago and then last January as well. Because he came, we thought he spoke Spanish, but he didn't speak Spanish. He's from Guatemala. We thought, wow. And after he was with us for two months, I came home and Lee said, guess what, honey? His family doesn't speak Spanish. And I was wondering about it. I thought maybe it's a dialect or an accent thing. (laughs) Basic words he wasn't picking up on. But he spoke a language that started with a Q that had two apostrophes in it. Kanho Bal, which is Mayan. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. So we taught him English instead. (laughs) That's good. That's good. Yeah. Well, I think that whole effort and your uh, giving family is is awesome and something to commend it. And hopefully others can follow your lead. I was looking at the website last night for Healing the Children, and I know that they're affected somewhat with COVID. But do you have any idea how it's going to maneuver and think about projects and kids or families for next year for 2021? 
It is my hope that we would be able to open up the hospitals again, really is what it is, because there's two hospitals in Michigan that can do these kind of surgeries. And in the past, Beaumont has done it, Mott Children's, and then the hospital in Grand Rapids for children, Butterfield, I think it's the name of it. And they have, they set aside money for pro bono work for their med students so they can do more real surgeries on more unusual cases that we don't always see in the United States. So my prayer is that the hospitals can get what they need. I know they've been bleeding out, no pun intended, with the challenges of the shutdown and COVID. So that would be my prayer there. The other thing was that I would say is Healing the Children works with a lot of international missions organizations and missionary doctors. In Guatemala, uh, there's an organization called Hands for Peacemaking because there's 300 Mayan villages around this small city of Barrias in Guatemala. And so this local mission seeks to connect the people. They provide stoves that use half the firewood of a normal Mayan stove and They do water filters, which can save so much. They build desks for schools, things like that. Any opportunity to make a contribution to healing the children can make an incredible difference one life at a time and have a huge impact on the people back here at home. That's one of the things I love about missions and about generosity in general is if you give in a way or at a level that it impacts you, I can give because I've been blessed with a decent salary and to give here and there. But when I really felt the nudge, you pray, God, help those people, help the orphans. And then this opportunity to have one come and live with you for five months or six months or most of them have families, but they're orphaned in their disease from their villages and many of them ostracized and able then to return them to their families. I never pictured that God would say, okay, you're going to do mission work. Cause I was always interested in mission work, not just short-term things. And God said, you're going to do mission work right in Mayberry, which is Dexter's a little bit like a Mayberry town. (laughs) And the impact on the people in Mayberry, even the folks who weren't so sure about Jesus, they loved baby Sarah or Felix or, Lesty and wanted to help in any way that they could. It was amazing to see that kind of change and interest and the opportunity through Healing the Children or this Hands for Peacemaking, which is another amazing organization. Yep, that's great. I know that a number of the missions you talked about in the beginning of this, this segment uh, are on the website. So I will be sure to put out the website link next week on the newsletter uh, or the blog and allow our readers and listeners to come into the church and see all the good stuff that you guys are doing and all the missions. And I also, I'll provide the link for Healing the Children as well, which I think is a great cause. And uh, I was so moved to hear the story. So thank you for what you're doing there. Well, I, thank I, you I, so much. The 40 Days of Prayer, I've listened to that podcast a couple of times and the one can, oh, there's many different messages to me, but the one that I continue to be a victim of is one of impatience and you're calling for being persistent in prayer. Can you just talk about that for one brief minute and just conclude our uh, podcast with some inspiration for people to leave the podcast with a good feeling for helping others? 
Yes. Yes. When it comes to prayer, a lot of times you feel it's just words or this one way kind of a communication. But if we take what scripture would say seriously and what Christ said, praying is fulfilling our purpose. We were created to pray. If you want to fulfill your purpose in life, you begin praying to the living God, even if you don't feel like much about God. And you can be confident in that because your prayer is not about you by its very definition. Your prayer has to do with the fact that you are praying to a loving father, a caring father, a consistent father, a competent Father. So you do not have to feel competent or confident in your prayer, but simply to reach beyond yourself and say, God, be with me through this. God, help us in this situation. Uh, God, give us guidance, give us insight, meet my needs and, and help me, God, to be hands and feet for you to meet somebody else's needs. And, and there's something about the persistence of it. It changes your life. It does. It does indeed. I'm trying to walk that walk, but it's, uh, I need your, your help and inspiration to do this. I want to thank you so much for coming on the call. We and I, you and I joked last night that 30 minutes would fly by and it has. So <laughs> maybe we need to try to do this again in 2021, but uh, I do want to thank you for coming on and spending your time and uh, talking about the good missions that you and your church are doing. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Roger. It's so good to have reconnected months yes. ago when we did and to be able to sit here with you on a podcast is a real um, feather in my cap, so to oh. speak. No, thank you. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. Take care. God bless and happy Thanksgiving. Thank you for listening to the Third Act Podcast. To find out more about who we are spotlighting, how to get involved, or find show notes on today's episode, go to wearethirdact.com. With my third